following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. Jonah Part 2. Jonah Part 2. So yesterday we saw how Jonah really kind of refused the Lord. He he fled from his presence, he found a ship, he fell asleep, he failed the crowd, and then he found himself. And uh, now we're going to read on, and we'll pick it up from the last verse of chapter 1, and then read through into the end of chapter 3, so a longer reading. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and said, I call out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with all its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. And then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk. He cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let man, beast, herd or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let them call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger 
so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the high privilege of singing your praise, Lord. Thank you so much you put it in our hearts to sing out our love to you. Thank you for the victories you've won that give us freedom to surrender things to you with joy and faith. Thank you, Lord, that you've done a job on us, setting us free from self-confidence, setting us free from our own plans. Lord, we thank you we found a safe place trusting you. We thank you for our friends to the right and left of us, Lord, with same like faith, with the same joys in you. Thank you for comradeship in the gospel. Lord, we're so grateful for all that we've already experienced in this meeting this morning, the supernatural nature of being in the presence of God. So, Father, we we just ask you right now, please, for the help of the Holy Spirit. And we do invite you, Holy Spirit, right now. Just come, Holy Spirit. Come rest upon us. Come and help us to hear your voice. Help us to recognize your voice. That's when we hear your voice, Lord, we find freedom and joy and delight and faith. So please come, Holy Spirit. Just rest upon us now. Let this hour be a supernatural hour in the presence of God. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. So we read in chapter 3 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And uh, that's a wonderful a biblical concept, a wonderful truth that can thrill our hearts, to be honest. One of the most fun, wonderful things you'll find in the Bible, that God speaks a second time, that he doesn't uh, call Amos. Come on, Amos, get out of here, Jonah. Uh, let's get on with the job. No, the word of the Lord comes to his servant a second time. As we saw yesterday, the story of Jonah is not so much about uh, the prophesying that he made, as most other Old Testament prophets are, it's about the story of the man. It's a revelation of God through the way he deals with his prophet. Obviously, there is a, a wonderful, phenomenal background story, perhaps the biggest uh, revival recorded in, uh, in biblical history. Uh, nevertheless, the real issue is how God deals with his servant and how wonderful it is that God will take what seems to be spoiled goods, disobedient people, and speak again to them, and reinstate them, and get them back on course. And the Bible's kind of full of people who blew it, and got felt disqualified, and then God reinstated them. I mean, really, right back to Abraham from the beginning. God called Abraham, he was a pagan, and God made him a breathtaking promise that uh, through him he would bless all the nations of the earth, he would give him a son, in spite of his old age, and in spite, actually, of the barrenness of his wife. There was this promise given to him. And, and then the years slipped by, and the years slipped by, and the years slipped by, and, and there's no heir, there is no son, there's no inheritance to be uh, passed on. It's, uh, it all looks pretty desperate. And then one day, uh, his wife comes to Abraham and says, why don't you take Hagar, my maid, have the child through her? It looks like it's not going to happen. Let's make it happen. And that's often a temptation that comes to us. We, it's not going to happen. Let's make it happen. We can't wait any longer for God. And the, the story of Abraham is very, very challenging to us, that this tremendous man of faith 
there came a moment where he thought, how much longer do I have to wait for what God seemed to promise me? And he's very longing, much uh, longing for this son, that he should be born. And so he, he follows this advice and uh, has sexual relations with Hagar and the child is born. And then it, if you look at the story of Genesis, there's, I think, like 13 years of silence. God doesn't speak to him. And then it starts again in Genesis 17. The Lord spoke again to Abraham, walk before me. And, and God speaks again to Abraham. God speaks again to people. Moses, you remember Moses, actually incredibly highly motivated. He's in the, he's in the palace. He could have inherited the throne, it seems. Uh, it says uh, he was the son, or seemed to be, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's kind of lined up for a position of huge power, prestige, everything he wanted. And then one day he looks down and sees a Hebrew being badly treated by an Egyptian. He goes down there, kills the Egyptian. And, and then the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting with one another. And goes down and says, what are you doing fighting with one another, your brothers? And they turn to him and say, who made you a ruler over us? And if you read the Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, it says, Moses supposed they would understand. God had sent him. Actually, God hadn't sent him. He was running ahead. He saw the problem. And so he got on with it. And a guy who goes before God's called him is a pretty dangerous person. There's no sense of yielding to authority. He's just, wow, I better go and sort this out. And we again, we can do that. We can feel, wow, the need is great. I need to go and get on with it. I remember as a young Christian in the Baptist church I was raised, we used to have this missionary week every year. And uh, there was always this this week where missionaries would come from all over the world, show us their pictures on the screens and their baubles and beads and things that have been produced where they were. And, you know, this is the missionary thing. And you think, oh gosh, you know, who's going to go? And you think, oh, who's going to go? And it was, uh, it was kind of the frightening week of the year for all the young people in the church. Once you got married and older, you're kind of through it. But when you were the young people... <laughs> Uh, there came the Friday night, and when you, you know, the guy thundered out, Who will go? And you held the pew very tight. <laughs> and uh, I, remember, I remember once when I was there, uh, Stephen Olford, who's quite a preacher, he was the Friday night man. And when he thundered out, Who will go? You know, now, now you come forward. And all these girls went forward and said, Where are the men? And I thought, I thought I'm a man. And. Uh, <laughs> And I thought, you know, this is all a bit stale and quaint and it's not very modern. And I was very backslidden at the time. I thought, yeah, God needs some young men. Yeah, maybe, they could, maybe God wants me to sort it out. And I, I walked forward, you know. And we, <laughs> we were singing this great old hymn, which you don't hear very often these days. Just as I am, young, strong and free, to be the best that I can be. And, uh, you know, it's a, it appeals to the flesh, that. <laughs> <laughs> Just strong, young, and free to be the best I can be. And I'm, I went forward, yeah, I'll be the best I can be. That's what Moses did. You know, Moses got out of the palace, he went out to be the best he could be, and God said, Yeah, thank you very much. See you in 40 years. <laughs> and then, after 40 years looking after a few sheep, the word of the Lord came again to Moses. This wonderful thing that God starts again with us, and incredibly, with a kind of freshness, comes anew. And as I say, this Bible's full of it. Simon Peter said, oh, I won't let you down. The others may, I won't. You know, even if I have to die for you, you know, Jesus is looking on. 
And then he blows it completely. I'm not with him, I don't know him, never, never met him. No, 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 I don't know him. And then you get that wonderful reinstatement, don't you? And Jesus finding him and preparing breakfast for him. It's just fantastic. And reinstating him. Do you love me, Peter? I, I would have thought on the day of Pentecost, Peter would be at the back of the crowd, eh? You know, thank you, Lord, for mercy. So glad that you showed me mercy. Go on, James. Sock it to him, James. Now really give him it, James. That's not like that, is it? Peter is not just restored to the back of the crowd. Peter is restored to his position of main spokesman. I mean, God, talk about restoration. God is very good at restoration. And Peter has completely missed it. He's not just back on the back of the crowd. Okay, failed. You know, I forgive you, but no, no, he's right back. The word of the Lord came again to Jonah. It's like he reinstates, he reestablishes. And so, as I say, the whole of the Old Testament, New Testament, is littered with people who mess up. That's why I love God. He's the God of grace. I love the doctrines of grace. That he's full of mercy and kindness. You know, Elijah, oh, let me die. I've had enough. And God commissions him again. It's incredible. The word of the Lord comes again to Jonah. He gets us started again. And so this whole story really, it kind of shows us the vulnerability of man. We must never think, I've arrived. Just in my own devotional read at the moment, going through Philippians, and just come across this verse yesterday and today, and he says, it's about you know, forgetting what lies behind. I'm pressing forward. I want to, it's like I'm running to the goal. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting down there letting the others run. I'm still pressing on. Paul's got that about him. He's still pressing on. He knows the danger of slipping away. He's very careful. So the vulnerability of man, the, the terrible inroads of the fall, that we are vulnerable people. Even in the UK this last year, very high, very high profile, charismatic leader, and a, a scholarly man, hugely respected. Gone. Tragic story. Took his son's girlfriend, went off with her, left his family. I mean, a man you'd think, wonderful man. Just shows, hey, be careful. Be careful. Here, this guy has lost it. The inroads of the fall. And yet we do see here in Jonah the phenomenal, phenomenal grace of God. The word of the Lord came to him. Well, let's come to Jonah. Let's look at the story. Let's pick it up. We see in Jonah 2, this is where we stopped really yesterday. Jonah 2, 1. Then Jonah prayed. That's how it starts. Then Jonah prayed. When did he pray? Well, he prayed when he was in trouble. Sadly, he prayed too late. He should have prayed earlier. He should have prayed at the beginning, not at the end. When the word of the Lord came to him, yeah, maybe it was a difficult one. That's when he should have prayed. But he prayed when he had run out of resources. He should have started with prayer, not have arrived at prayer, especially as a prophet of God. He should have started there. See, sometimes our prayers should be getting us in, not getting us out. I know when I was a young Christian, my prayers were constantly, oh God, I'm sorry, can you get me out of this? And I think when you're a young Christian, God is incredibly patient with us. And all my prayers were, oh God, get me out of this mess. And God is amazingly merciful, but this is a prophet. And he should have started with prayer, but he finished with prayer. And you can almost imagine God from heaven, when, when sometimes we say, Lord, I'm exhausted. And heaven's saying, good. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I can't go on any longer. 
And heaven's saying, very good. Because <laughs> you know, sometimes we do need to run out. We, we, we learn to say prayers. It's a duty. It's a thing you do if you're a Christian. But it's when you're in trouble you really start praying, actually. It's when you really start crying from your guts. Is there somebody there to help me? And this is what's happening to Jonah now. There's no formal deal. He's crying out. He's pleading with God when, when he has had enough of doing it his own way. When he also realizes, secondly, I'm a Hebrew. That's what he said. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm a prophet of God. In other words, he's waking up to the reality. I'm supposed to call on God. That's who I am. He woke up to who he was. He began to pray when he thought, no, I have access to God. I'm not just at the mercy of the storm or of the fish. I have a God. I, I can come to him. It's a bit like the prodigal again. When the prodigal it says he came to himself, he said, I'll go to my father. He realized, I have a relationship. I have, I have a relationship. And you can get far from God, and yet there's this wonderful awareness, actually, I belong. This one I belong to. I'm not just being thrown around by events, the loss of my job, the economy, the way it worked out with my uncle, my aunt, and what happened in the... I'm just, no, no, you're not just at the mercy of events. God is on your case. And he remembers that. And so he prayed when circumstances invaded. You see, you can't order all your circumstances. You can think, well, I'll make this choice. Again, with the prodigal, suddenly it says there was famine. Well, I, wouldn't, I hadn't thought of famine. I thought I could do this and this, but I never dreamed I'd also hit famine. I might have this plan, I'll do that, I think I'll do that. It says in the Bible, we can say to ourselves, I'll go here, I'll make money, I'll do that. And he says, no, that is independence. It's dangerous to be independent. I'll do it as though, well, everything's in your control. It isn't. You don't know when the economy will suddenly die. You don't know when suddenly storms will come or something you never even anticipated. Life is not in our control. It's outside of our control. And when we think, no, I can run it. I know what I'm doing. No, there are often ingredients in life that never came onto your, never in your radar. You didn't know it was coming. And life's like that. That's why we need God at all times. Even when we don't realize we need him. Because there are unforeseen things that suddenly break in. I never dreamed such a thing could happen in my life. You hear terrible tragedies of people's children being killed in road accidents. You think, that was never in our thoughts. That that would invade our life, our home, our relationship as a husband and wife. We never knew we'd have to handle a crisis like that. Suddenly we're into things, we're out of our comfort zone. We thought we were handling life, but we weren't clinging to God to help us handle life. We thought we could handle life. And suddenly there's a storm, there's a fish, there's a, wow, this is out of my league. And that can happen to you any time. Any time. I would not be a faithful shepherd if I didn't say, that can happen any time. Unforeseen, unexpected. That's why we need to cling to God, be listening to him at all times. The unforeseen that happens. He prays when he's in that situation. And he prayed also when he was delivered to despair, really. You read some of these phrases, they're frightening. The water has encompassed me, engulfed me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. Sometimes you just think, oh, I'm lost. It's amazing how quickly that can come. I'm amazed at the story of Elijah. I think Elijah, he's just a phenomenal guy, isn't he? He's incredible. It's like, in contrast to Jonah, it's like, go, and he goes. Go, do this, he does it. Every time he does it. And then suddenly he runs out of gas. Suddenly. When, his, when, when uh, Jezebel says, tomorrow I'll have your guts. 
And he's just got nothing left. Suddenly, you think this man, but somehow he, somehow he missed the way. Somehow, maybe the euphoria, fire fell from heaven, killed the prophets of Baal, Elijah's vindicated. Whoa! Perhaps in a moment, he just got his eyes. I don't know what he did. But Jezebel just said, tomorrow you'll be dead. And, and suddenly, all that courage is gone. And he runs for his life. And then he prays a stupid prayer. He says, take my life from me. He's run away because Jezebel said, I'll take your life from you. He runs for his life. He said, take my life. It's amazing how near the kind of despair or even suicide prayer is. How near it is that you can find, I don't know if I want to live. It's amazing how near that can come, how quickly that can come. Just things hit you and you, you, you really despair, suddenly hit despair. You don't like waking up in the morning. It's better at night, put your head on the pillow, go to sleep. But the morning, oh my God. And you can hit that, you can hit that. And this story is telling us, of course it's a dramatic story, it's a story of incredible extremes, but it's describing things that we can psychologically experience in our hearts, where you think, I don't know, I'm tangled up. He says, I'm tangled up in the weeds, I, I don't know how to get out of this. That's when, that's when he started praying, oh God. He didn't give up, he prayed. Hallelujah. You need to remember that. He prayed. So why did he pray? Because that was his only hope. That was his only hope. And he remembered this wonderful phrase. I love the NIV translation. It says, those who cling to worthless idols. Steve gave us a graphic description last night of a worthless idol. It was so wonderful and dismissive. Just like God is with a You've got legs you can't walk. You have eyes you can't see. Pathetic. It's those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It's a fabulous translation in the NIV. There's grace available when you remember the real God. And he prayed because he suddenly remembered what God's really like. He, he suddenly remembered you can find mercy with God. It's not a formality, it's not a duty. There is a God who hears prayer. He remembers that. That's why he prays. What, what did he pray? Okay, we said, when did he pray? Why did he pray? What, what did he pray? Well, first of all, he cried out, help! <laughs> help! You know, you can do that even now as I'm preaching. If you feel, and you know how it's been for me lately. Just in your heart, say, Lord, help me. Help me to hear you. Even now, just that cry, help. He began to, he began to cry for help. Sometimes that's all we can do. I remember a guy I, I knew not terribly well, but I was acquainted with. And, uh, he told me once, I hadn't seen him for a few years, he told me he was really bright in God. And I thought he was going through a bad patch earlier. I thought, I'm not quite who you were. And he told me his story. He said, I was committing adultery. And no one knew. My wife didn't know. I had this relationship. And he was in a communal Christian thing. And he was messing up bad. And no one knew. And suddenly he had a heart attack. Suddenly. And he said, I was in the ambulance. And many times I thought, should I be doing this? Should I stop this? Many, many times his conscience troubled him. And he suddenly had this heart attack. He was in the ambulance. And he heard one guy say to the other, I don't think he'll make it to hospital. He heard him say it. He said, I cried to the Lord. <laughs> he said, God, help. And that was a turning for him. He really turned right around. For him, just please, God, help me. 
and he broke the whole thing up, sorted things, got right with his wife, and was restored, and his family was restored and everything. But there was that kind of help, help. What did he pray? He prayed, help me. And then he said in verse 3, you have put me here. That acknowledgement that God is bigger than our circumstances. He was apparently fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He's away himself from face-to-face fellowship. He's not wanting to hear from God. God says, do this. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be in your face anymore. He's running from the presence of the Lord. But then he realizes, as the Bible says, God threw up a storm. Then it says, God provided the fish. And he suddenly thinks, I, God's on me. God, I, God, you're in this. God... You are around. You are bigger than my circumstances. You are around my circumstances. You have control. And if you're a believer, that's true for you. My life is hid with Christ in God. It's great to know that, isn't it? That whatever's happening, you can reckon on. God knows. God is around. And sometimes circumstances are difficult to understand. But you think, no, no. My life is hid with Christ in God. And he, Paul, so Paul, when he writes, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, Paul, a prisoner of the Roman guard. He doesn't say that. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Christ, Christ, you know, this is how it's worked out. I'm in prison, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. And you can imagine, he talks about, he often refers in Philippians to his being in chains. So he's chained to, there's a, there's a Roman soldier there next to him as he's writing this letter. And he says, he's writing this, he says, so all the Philippian guard know about Jesus because <laughs> they're chained to me. You know, I'm, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Christ has ordained all this. And prayer that understands the sovereignty of God is wonderful. It, it stops us despairing. It's, no, no, God is bigger than. God is bigger than the storms. He's bigger than the economic storm. He's bigger than the storm that's going on with your neighbors at the moment. He's bigger than the atmosphere that's coming in your office. He's bigger. He's bigger than it. And it's very important for us to comprehend we are not at the mercy of random events that have no origin. No, God is on you, on your life, around you. And it really is a help to prayer. Because to know, God, you really are sovereign. You are over this. I'm being tossed around, but you are bigger. And that to him was a huge encouragement to know that God is in control. Do you believe it? To really know it. We've got to know it. It should sometimes shock your colleagues at work. When a shudder goes through the company, guys are going to be laid off. And guys start getting scared and they look at you. And, And there should be something about us, dear friends, that people say, what is it with you? And it's like, can you see something I can't see? Yes. Yes. I, I, can, I can see something you can't see. It's giving me peace in the midst of this. And so he's crying to God because he knows God is bigger. And then it says he confessed his need, and it's a pretty bad one. He says, I have been expelled. That's what it says in this translation. The NIV says banished. The very vivid words, aren't they? Imagine you're a kid at school and the teacher calls you in and the headmaster says, look, he's had lots of detentions. He doesn't learn. I'm sorry, this is, the, this is it. He's expelled. He's, he's expelled. He can't come again. I'm expelled. It's a horrible finality. He's expelled. I mean, that would be devastating. And the word banished, it reminds me of that kind of medieval time in, in the UK, for instance, when maybe there'd be a rebel night. And the king discovers what he's up to. 
He says, you are banished. You are out of here. You can't live in England anymore. It's finished for you. That's the word he's used. I'm, I'm expelled and banished. That sense of frightening <coughs> finality. He, can, he confessed it. I'm, I'm banished from hearing God again. Beloved, that's what hell is. Romans 1, I'll never forget, I once heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach on Romans 1, and there's that threefold phrase that comes three times in Romans 1, God gave them up. And he says about society, that gets worse and worse and ignores God, refuses to acknowledge him, stops worshipping the creature, a creator, starts worshipping the creature, starts changing in every way, and in the end says, God gave them up. And then in the end he came, I remember his preaching, he said, in the end that is hell. When God gives people up, he will never speak again to them. There will never be another time that you hear. There's never another opportunity. God gave them up. And there's times when society looks like God gives it up. And then there are, when hell is when God will, will never speak again. That's why we have to be so diligent to hear when God is speaking. It's not a casual thing. You know, it says about Herod, King Herod, it says he loved hearing John the Baptist. It's weird, isn't it? He took John the Baptist in because you know, he was kept on preaching against him. Kept on saying, you shouldn't be with this woman, you shouldn't be with this woman, you shouldn't be with this woman. Kept on preaching it, it says. Kept on saying it. And Herod, weird, he's not going to change. He stays with the woman, but he likes hearing John the Baptist. There's something charismatic about him. It's, wow, when he speaks, whoa, he's incredible. And so it says he would often go and speak to him and listen to him. He loved the, he loved the kind of, wow, the guy's powerful. I'm not going to change, but he's pretty powerful. And then it says, when Jesus was taken, he's brought to Herod. And he come, Jesus comes to Herod. And, and it says, Herod was looking forward to meeting Jesus. He thought he might see him do some miracle. And Jesus is brought to Herod. And it says this, it's dramatic. When I first saw it, I thought, wow. It says, and Jesus spoke to him, not one word. You know, There's life and death, man. This is the word of life. This is the life. And Herod's there. And Jesus says, not one word. You've heard anything you're ever going to hear, Herod. You will never hear from God again. It's scary. It means take carefully hearing the word of God. And it means for the people around us, the privilege, the privilege we have of hearing the word of God is breathtaking. And he says, I've banished. I'm banished from your sight. It's that sense of, terrible finality about it but hallelujah because he is a hebrew and he understands in the same verse verse four it says i will look again to your temple so in one minute he says i'm banished and then comes his cry but i'll look to your temple what's that about i'll look to your temple well it's a reminder of a prayer that was prayed by solomon back in one kings eight when solomon built the temple. You may remember one of the things, this great prayer of Solomon's just before the temple fills with glory. And, and Solomon prays, if ever your people turn from you, if ever they go after false gods, if ever they go away, if they turn to this place and plead for you, will you hear them? So like the temple is a representation of the Christ who will come. It's a place of blood being shed. It's a place of sacrifice where lambs are being continually offered, where blood is shed for sin. And it says in the Old Testament, if ever you look to this temple 
And so there's Jonah in the belly of the fish saying, I'm exiled, I'm finished. And then suddenly, I will look to your temple. I'll remember the promise. I'll remember what you said. If I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me. He's remembering in the Old Testament that kind of a verse that says there's always, if you will, plead with God for mercy. If you'll cry to God for forgiveness. And so he suddenly, halfway through this verse, one minute is in banishment, expelled. Next minute he's saying, but I will look to your temple. He's looking for mercy. He's crying out to Jesus. He's crying to the temple of the living God. And he begins to plead and says in verse 9, I, what I have vowed I will pay. Fascinating, look at the things he prayed. So first of all, he said, God have mercy on me. And then to demonstrate, he really means I am repentant. See, repentance is a, it's a word that has some teeth to it. It's not just saying sorry. Repentance literally is a Greek word, metanoia. It means changing direction. That's what it means. You were going this way, I will repent. Oh no, you're not repenting yet. Oh, oh sorry, I will repent. Metanoia, it means to change your thinking in such a way that you change your action. I will, vow, I will pay my, what I vowed, I will pay. In other words, when you called me to be a prophet, when you said I will be your spokesman, when I surrendered myself to you, maybe for us, like when I was baptized, I really meant it, Lord. When I gave myself, when we sang a moment ago, I surrender. We've been moments when we've said that ever so meaningfully. Not just because it came up in this week's worship, but from the heart. And sometimes that happens in worship. When you're saying, yes, Lord, I just give myself unreservedly. And really that's what it is to be a believer. It's one who's handed over to God. And it says in Ecclesiastes 5, when you make a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you what you vow. It's better that you shouldn't vow than that you vow and not pay. And here's Jonah saying, look, what I promise, I'll do it. I will do it now. Lord, save me, I will do it. Rescue me, I will do it. Psalm 66, I will pay you my vows which my lips uttered in my mouth when I spoke when I was in distress. Steve referred to this kind of thing last evening. Sometimes we, we make promises. God, get me out of this, I promise. But he's saying, hey, come on, if you make a promise, let's be real. Let's be true. Better not to make promises than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Have you made promises to God? Do you remember when you were baptized? I remember for myself, I was baptized. I felt I meant it. I really felt, I, I thought, I had my life, Lord. I felt I meant it. And then a couple of years later, a guy preached and said, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? It's like a knife went through my soul. You did run well. You meant it when you started. What happened? Who hindered you? And I knew, God, I've not done it. It changed my life. One sermon changed my life. I will do it, Lord. It led to some pretty ruthless obedience. So he says, I will, I will fulfill it. Now some would say, no, it's too late. I've messed up. It's too late for me. And some will say that. I've sinned too greatly. I've messed up so badly. And some would say that. I've disqualified myself. I've done 
so bad. But, but can I just ask you this? Did God then let you off then, your vow? See, some would say, oh, I've messed up so much. Did God say, you've messed up so much, I'm, I'm not interested in your vow anymore? I think God's still waiting for what we promise. He's, he's, because we say it's too bad, he's not saying, oh, is that it then, we finished. Because God's somehow bigger than that. And if he hasn't let you off your vow, it still stands. It still stands. And Jonah is heard. See, God doesn't write you off. That's the breathtaking thing. That's the wonderful thing. He doesn't write us off. And so we see this wonderful, wonderful answer now as we press on through into the next chapter, get through from this prayer to see what actually happened. It's tremendous. It says, God, the fish spewed him up. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It didn't just spit him back into the sea. He spit him onto dry land. Now, that's good. <laughs> that's even better than where we were. He's back. You see, can God, you know, God commanded the fish, it says. God commanded the fish. And you think, well, that's amazing. God, last verse 10, verse 10 of chapter 2. The Lord commanded the fish, and he vomited him up onto dry land. You think, can God command fishes? It's amazing. God can command walls. Imagine that. You know, Joash Josh, Josh walked around the wall six days. God can tell a wall, fall down. It's incredible, isn't it? God can command lions, don't bite. <laughs> you know, throw the men in with the lions. And there's the lions, don't bite. <laughs> God can say to the fire, don't burn. And they're walking around, these three guys, in the fire. And the fire's been commanded by God, don't burn. Well, and so they're fine. In the, God can command anything. He can command the Red Sea, open up. He can command the River Jordan, open up. He just, God can command anything. Anything. You say, but I'm in such a mess. I've got into this relationship. I should never have got, I don't know how to get out of it. I've got in this job and they're crooks and I don't know what to do. And Hey, God can command anything. He can spit you out of it. He can get you out of it. You say, no, it's too complicated. It's not too complicated. God can do it. God can just order it. God can change it. And we sometimes think, well, how do I get myself out of this mess? I should never have got into it, but there's no way out of it. But there's nothing God cannot command. Isn't that great news? If you can say to a fire, don't burn. If you can say to lions, don't bite. See, open up. God just keeps on doing that. Water become wine. God can do it. God can change your circumstances. I love what it says in Psalm 66. It's a testimony of many, really. In verse 10 it says, You have tried us, O God. You've refined us as a river is as silver is refined. You brought us, you brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden on our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. You brought us out into a large place. See, often the psalmist is saying, Lord, but then, wow, God brought us out. Do you believe it this morning? God can bring you through. It's his sovereignty that's so very important for us to know about. He delivered him. He spewed him not just back into the water, but onto dry ground. He's got solid ground under his feet. And then comes this wonderful word. He spoke to him a second time. The word of the Lord Chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And it's kind of an identical word. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, proclaim to it. I mean, it's, 
is restored completely to what God says. He's not written off. He's not abandoned. He's reinstated to exactly the same ministry, exactly the same word, the word that I spoke to you. It's not changed. It's not a different word. It's the same word. It's a word that God spoke to you. And then it says this, Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. That's how it's uh, quoted in this and in the ESV. He went according to the word of the Lord. Now, that, that, you might say, well, that's difficult. I mean, if I go according to the word of the Lord, that's the problem. Are you going according to the word of the Lord? Are you going, to, are you going according to the word of the Lord in your marriage? That's how we muddle through. No, are you going according to the word of the Lord? That's how we're meant to do it, according to the word of the Lord, how God says it. Husbands, cherish your wives. Wives, obey your husbands. Train your children. That's going according to the word of the Lord. So if we do that, I get into problems. But that was the, that's how it started. But when God spoke to him, he said, oh, I don't want to do that. Now he's going back. He comes back to the same word. Go according to the word. And he does this time. He goes according to the word and to, in relationships. Sometimes we lose a relationship. We think, well, I don't like her. I don't speak to her anymore. I don't like him. He's a difficult person. I don't want to go near him. I'll avoid him. In the... No, no, that's not going according to the word of the Lord. We have to go in our relationships according to the word of the Lord. We have to prioritize. And no, the word of the Lord says, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's the word of the Lord. It's not like, well, she knows my number, she wants to call me. That's not according to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is make every effort to walk together carefully because we're trying to build a great church for the glory of God. There's too much at stake. It's not just your preference. This is God's church. It's not why I don't like her. That's not your, you haven't got that freedom. You want to walk according to the word of the Lord. And so we bear with one another. We have mercy towards one another. We, we walk in love. We're building a great church. It's huge for us. So we must walk according to the word of the Lord. We reverence and respect those who are over us in the Lord. Oh, I don't like that. I like to complain about them. No, that's not going according to the word of the Lord. We have to walk according to... That's how we build something that is God-glorifying. We go according to the word of the Lord. You say, well, in my business, they're a bit dodgy, but no, you've got to go according to the word of the Lord. Church and ministry... You say, well, if I go according to the word of the Lord at work, I'm in trouble. I could get in real trouble. If I go according to the word of the Lord, I back off this woman at work, but I know she likes me. I know we're getting a kind of a relationship, nothing said. But if I back off, I mean, I think I'll hurt her. I, I could, you know, it's messy, it's difficult. No, it's not. Just obey. Go according to the word of the Lord. Don't mess around. That's why Jonah got into trouble. Now he's coming back. He's going to say, no, I will, I will fulfill my will, your will. And so he goes according to the word of the Lord. You may offend your colleagues, you may lose your job, but don't you trust God? This is a huge issue, that we go according to his word. In fact, it's the kind of whole point of the story. That eventually, instead of running from God, he gets God's mercy and goes the second time into the will of God. And then out of it, we get this phenomenal 
result. He goes into Nineveh and begins to shout. I mean, it's an amazing thing. He doesn't offer any mercy. It's a very simple message. You're in trouble. And he's not offering mercy, but, I mean, the guy's coming. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know what was about him. That Some people have said, well, he was in the fish. You know, all colors sucked out of him. He looked weird. He looked phenomenal. He was a sign and a wonder. <laughs> you know, he's going through. What is that? And uh, somehow, something about him, uh, and he just said it. You're in trouble. You're all going to die. That's your lot. It's all over. Eight words. You are going to die. And he doesn't say, if you repent, no, you've had it. You're out of here. And he just says it. And they all start repenting. And it's interesting. It's, it's like a genuine revival because it starts at grassroots. Uh, and that's revivals like that. It starts at grassroots. It starts with people who begin to change, begin their hearts to change. Then later, as the king wakes up to what's happening in his nation, he starts making some laws to change. You know, sometimes we say, oh, God, let the prime minister make a better law. Won't happen. They'll only make a better law when grassroots are saying, oh, God, change the station. When grassroots are saying, no, we don't want this stuff. When grassroots are making an opinion. You can't legislate for revival. Oh, God, give us a prime minister that will give us revival. It's not going to happen. See, people pray sometimes like that. No, it's, it starts from the people, and then gradually as the people begin to change, then you'll find the king here, or those in government, they think, hey, I've got to change the laws here. That's how it's happened historically. Laws will reflect what the people want. It starts with the people. It starts with our neighbors, our friends, the sort of people we were praying for here last night. So wonderful to stand amongst you last night, hearing us all crying out for people in our streets and our, our neighborhood. That's what we want. People who we touch and fellowship and contact, that they start waking up to the realities of God. And Jonah begins to see a phenomenal breakthrough, an extraordinary breakthrough, an amazing, amazing revival that happens. And, uh, and you could say, well, great, great, it's done, it's done. He's through part two. We, in a sense, we, we don't have time for part three, Jonah, but i just make a hint or two here in closing, because there is a part three, really. And uh, it's a little bit like, we've had this imagery of the theater when we're here. It's a bit like story of Jonah. You know, word comes to him, no, you know, act one, scene one, runs away, fish, bang, problem, you know, uh, act two, out, three, you know, repent through. It's all over. Yeah, well done, Jonah, revival, wonderful. Well done, what a mighty hero. Curtain comes down, you're reaching for your hat or your coat, and let's get out of the theater, and then the curtain opens again. I thought it was all over. Revival, we had the whole deal. And then, no, there's another chapter, which I haven't even read to you. And it's Jonah alone with God. And you think, hey, it's not over at all. And you know, that'll happen to every one of us. The curtains will close, and they'll say, she was a great person, we'll all turn up at the funeral, and say, oh, she was wonderful, and uh, he was great, and what a blessing he was, and wonderful person, God bless, you know, sorry, goodbye, it's all over. But actually, in another place, the curtain opens, and you're there with God. And you find he's got some things to say to you. So the last chapter is a little bit scary, really, because actually Jonah, he's still a messed up guy. Have you noticed? It's like, oh, you said revival. You think, what is it with this guy? And God's still dealing with him. 
And I've made the imagery that for us this is going to happen. We will have, after, at the end of our lives, this will happen to every one of us. Every one of us will give account to God. God will open the curtains and say, right, now, let's talk about your life. Oh, they did that at the funeral. Yeah, I know they did, but I want to do it now. <laughs> they all said how good I was. Yeah, we know a thing or two, don't we? And, uh, that's going to happen, right? God, if I'm making it funny. No, it won't be funny then. God, we will all give account, it says. We will all give account. And our works will be tested by fire. See what kind of works they were, whether they came from our heart. We're saved by grace. We're made righteous in his sight. Perfect, can't improve on it. And then he will test our works and see what our works were like. We don't get saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by giving another righteousness, not our own. It's all free. Thank you, God, for Christ. And then he said, no, come on, do, this, do stuff. I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to do stuff for me. And I want to reward you for it. And so he's going to reward those who've done that. We're not saved by works, right? Make clear that. We're saved by grace. But then it says there will be works for us to do. And then we will give account for what we did. That's going to happen to us. It's all very clear in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. It's all spelt out there. Whether it was wood, straw, Gold, precious things. He says, God will disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then every man's praise will come to him from God. He will disclose the things hidden in darkness. This guy Jonah's got some pretty messy stuff hidden in darkness. You sent a revival. And then he get this weird stuff. He says, uh, he says, he was burning hot. It was so hot. So the Lord appointed a vine to grow over him. Oh, thank you, Lord. And then he appointed a worm to eat up the vine. You think, oh, this guy Jonah, he's a pain. I just, I'm going to finish because it's, it's a very big subject if we were to open up the last chapter. But just to say this, Jonah got through, but that doesn't mean he's finished. Sometimes we come through a crisis and we've gained ground. And we think, God, thank you, I'm through. But that doesn't mean God's finished with you. There's no place where you think, well, I've arrived. Paul says that I haven't arrived. In Philippians, one of his later letters, I haven't arrived. Not that I've arrived. I'm still pressing on. And sometimes you can go through a huge crisis, even like the guy I referred to in the ambulance. I got through. God saved me. I'm back with my wife. That doesn't mean God's got no more to do with you. Just because you came through a big crisis, and as far as you know, no, there's still things God's doing. God, God's doing stuff in our lives. He's all the time touching on issues. I can't go to a session like Pete led yesterday about husband and wives without feeling convicted again. And you think, oh God, I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> so God, God, is, God is always doing stuff, isn't he? He's always... Don't ever think, wow, got out of the belly of the fish. Thank God for that. We're all sailing now. No, um, there's still more stuff to do. God is always drawing us through. He wants to bring us to the maturity. He wants to bring us to the glory of Christ. He wants to change attitudes. He wants to conform us into the image of his son. He's always got more to do. It's thrilling. We're still pressing on. Paul says, I'm pressing on. I want to get hold of what God got hold of me for. It's not like I've finished. I'm still pressing on. So let's never think, ah, oh, well, I've learned all there is to learn. Paul, hey, anybody want to know? Paul, I'll tell you. Paul could tell you anything. No, no, Paul says, I've not got that frame of mind. 
I'm, I'm, I'm believing I'm going to get out of this prison, he says. It's like I'm in this fish. I'm in this prison. I believe I'll get out. But it's not, oh, that's that then. No, no, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on. So Jonah, <laughs> he, he leads a great revival. God's still got things to teach him. There's still things in his life. And sometimes we can see a big personality on television and think, wow. That doesn't mean God hasn't still got things to do in their lives, still working things out. And this man Jonah, he's not through everything by any means. He's got some really bad attitudes in spite of being used by God. We mustn't think, oh, God uses me, I'm all right. I must be okay. God's, God uses me. What is there more to say? There's a lot more to say. He just led a revival. There's still a lot more to say. So beware the danger of thinking I've arrived. There's still more to say. But let's see the main thing we've looked at today. I don't want to miss it. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. To me, that's the, that's the main thing today. You start, if God can speak, God say, oh, you're back on course. You know, you're really, and, the, and the word, it's the same word, okay? Don't run away from it again. Don't say, well, I'll play it down a bit. I don't know if I, no, that's where you got into trouble. That's where the whole story started. The Lord said, do this. He said, no. Now we've come back to God. The word comes again. Now do it. Uh, no, come on, let's do it. With all the implications, all the scary factors, all what will happen if I do? Do it. And he'll be with you. And he'll sort it out. And give you great blessing. Fruit from it. Let's go according to the word. Let's not go any other way. If there's stuff in your life, you think, well, I know that's not in the Bible. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Say, well, I know the Bible says this. Well, let's do it God's way. And then we can really be authentic. Eh? Authentic to our neighbors, our friends. God's looking for authenticity. Jonah becomes the voice of God to Nineveh. And God wants us to be the voice of God to Sydney and beyond. That we are his voice. We're living his word. We are letting the word do its stuff in us. As we said the first sermon I was with you, we looked at the parable of the sower. We could all listen badly or better. Let's listen thoroughly. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's be his voice, his mouthpiece to our contemporaries. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your desire to bring us through. Lord, I'm amazed at your patience. I'm amazed how, Lord, when Abraham acted so shamefully, you didn't give him up. You didn't give up Elijah when he said, I just want to die. Lord, you didn't give up Moses when he was arrogant. You didn't give up Peter when he just denied you completely. We, we're just amazed, Lord. We love you so much for mercy. We're so grateful, Father. There's not one in this room who's not grateful for mercy. We're so thankful. And Lord, we do want you, please, to find in us that desire to go according to the word. We pray you'll help us to do it, Father. We pray for courage. We pray for steadfastness. We pray God will be, Lord, not careless like we were hearing last night, but zealous in our commitment to truth. Help us in it, Father. And Lord, we pray, help us not to kid ourselves because some blessing came that everything's all right now. Help us to keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Father, <laughs> we really do want to keep pressing on to know you, to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us. 
to really do it, Lord, until we hit the tape. Lord, hear us for that. Lord, bless your people. Bless this wonderful church. Let your presence continually rest upon us for your great glory. We want to see you greatly glorified. Lord, I pray, I pray for this church, Lord, that you said, you haven't chosen me, I've chosen you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. Lord, I ask you for great multiplied fruitfulness coming from this chosen people that brings you huge glory. Lord, let it be, we pray. Let us keep multiplying. Let many, Lord, who are lost at the moment, just being tossed about by storms, they don't know where to turn. We thank you, Lord. Even when we miss the way, we know who to call on. We know, we know we're sons. We know we can cry out. Lord, there are people all around us who've got nowhere to cry. We pray, help us, God. Please help us to be your voice to our generation. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.